0: This is the Aussie Animal Show on AAA Radio. My name's Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tonight the program is a little bit different. We're not concentrating on a particular wildlife animal issue. We're asking the question, who is caring for the carers? Our wildlife rescuers, carers, vets, in fact anyone who works with wildlife, find themselves in situations that may lead to stress, anxiety, trauma. So tonight we'll speak to two volunteer rescuers, carers, and get their opinion on this issue. And then we'll speak with a professional. First up, Christy from Rescue, Rehabilitate, Release. Thank you for joining us, Christy.
1: Thank you. I started this as a pretty much a way for me to allow the kangaroos or the the wildlife that I rescue, rehabilitate, release to have an identity. You can go out to so many uh, rescues or pouch checks or, or, you know, any sort of. Wildlife rescue, and that's that's what you do. You you get there and you deal with what you do, and then you drive off, and that and that's sort of it. I wanted a way for these animals to to have an identity. I wanted them to be remembered by people, and of course me. I mean, look, I do drive past so many spots on roads and 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 whatnot, and I remember the rescues that I've done there, as we all do as rescuers. But I just wanted them to have an identity, and it's also a way to be honest it's a way for me to grieve their loss as well by showing their faces and to again completely to identify them again so that's why I started Rescue Rehabilitate Release and I was just going along and and sort of telling my stories and it wasn't until I I recorded a video as traumatic as it was but in order again to get the exposure out there of a kangaroo with phalaris and my page then uh, a lot of people saw the video, and everyone, you know, couldn't believe what was happening to our kangaroos from from this introduced grass. And that's sort of how it started, and it just it's just kept going. Which, you know, the awareness is fantastic. You know, I've had so many people now, uh, as with most organisations that have pages, they relate and they get involved. I mean, I've got a, a beautiful young girl that could never could never touch a kangaroo when she saw it on the side of the road. She's now doing pouch checks and she's hiding bodies in bushes now for me. So do you know what I mean? That's I'm so happy that there's so many more people getting involved with what we do. It's
0: fantastic. Now, you're located on the outer northeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Once upon a time, it was all country out your way, but, uh, you, know, Correct. you know, things change. And I imagine that one of the busiest times is during travel people commuting mornings and evenings yes. and a lot of your victims are kangaroos and wallabies is that correct yeah
1: yeah definitely certainly more kangaroos are out this way we do obviously get wallabies but because we've got the plenty gorge not too far from here so uh, but definitely uh, kangaroos is the majority of, of certainly what I do yeah.
0: and of course with every rescue you attend you hope to come away with a an animal that you can rehabilitate and release but not all rescues go like that, do they?
1: No, look, I would say, and, it, and it's a horrible sort of figure, but I would say anywhere between, you know, sort of 95 to 98% of it is euthanasia. The injuries that these animals sustain is just horrific. As we all know, it's, it's just horrible.
0: And it's amazing that any of the females being struck by a car at 100 kilometres an hour, that any joey survives that impact.
1: Absolutely. I've had Joey's in care from freeways and, and back roads and things like that that have come into care and yep, yeah, they've they've gone on to, to lead a great life, but there are others that, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and they're deceased in the pouch and you, you don't know why. But it's yeah, it's unfortunately
0: it's it's just what we do, you know. I often put that down to is when we get a um, call out from the police or uh, the local vets had a Joey handed in. Mm-hmm. we don't know the situation so you take on this joey you put hours per day into its care and rehabilitation and as you said one morning you go out there and it's just no longer breathing but yeah. we didn't see what trauma that animal had already been through absolutely i agree yes yep how, how do you handle that
1: um i have to i have look most of those sort of things I have to look at that is completely out of my control. And I think then it's you 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 have to grieve the loss, you can't just put them down and well, you know you can't do what you need to do with them, whether it's uh, take I usually take them back to Mum if I know where Mum is, or I will take them somewhere nice, and i'll I'll place them under a tree so they can go back to nature. And look, it's I have to separate myself from the Joey as a whole to, and it sounds horrible and I hate to say it, but it's now just a body. It's not the animal anymore. The animals, the, the soul is around, but the animal is gone. So I have to try and sort of separate myself from that. And, you know, it sounds horrible again, but it, it in a way, I suppose it gets easier as it goes on when you keep doing this. It's horrible, but it just, you just learn how to process it in a different way, I think now.
0: And the other thing is the moment you sit down and start to feel a little bit uh, uh, off colour about it, the phone rings and you're called out to the next one. 100%,
1: yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's there's always time to grieve, but, you know, there's, there's, there's not a long of prolonged grief, if that makes sense, because there's still other babies here that, that need my undivided attention. So they don't understand why Oops. mum's sad or, you know, it's... I need attention. So you just have to put everything back into them.
0: And what a lot of people don't realise just how tactile a young joey is because of the time they spend in contact with their mother's skin inside the pouch. And it's up to you carers to duplicate that, to spend a little time with each one of these beautiful little creatures.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I remember, I'll, I'll be diplomatic when I say it, but I had some people here to inspect my house to give me a license (laughs) to uh to do what we do and I remember that it was told just they get locked in a room and you go in there and you feed them and that's it and I I can't I can't do that I mean my babies when they come into care they're they're on my chest I you know I sleep with them it's it's just it's what we do until they feel safe and secure and they yeah, mum doesn't just leave them in the pouch and doesn't attend to them at all. We, as you said, we need to replicate. They're constantly touched, they're constantly felt by mum. The nose, the the, the cleaning, everything is just constant with mum. So we, yeah, we, we replicate that to an extent. I draw the line at the cloac of it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's what wet wipes are for.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I draw the line somewhere.
0: I admire every kangaroo mother for her dedication of taking care of that joey in the pouch.
1: Absolutely.
0: Some are better housekeepers than others, though.
1: Correct. Absolutely <laughs> agree. Yes.
0: <laughs> now you mentioned earlier a volunteer that perhaps at the start was very hesitant to deal with a, a an injured or u- recently euthanised uh, kangaroo's body to do a pouch check, but now. Mm-hmm. They're pushing ahead and out there checking pouches.
1: Yeah, well, she's just a member of public that, again, followed my page and, and saw what I did, so just started getting involved. And, you know, to, she, I shouldn't say it was funny, but she wouldn't, even, she wouldn't even touch the foot to lift up the leg or, or do anything. And she's out there now, as I said, she's checking pouches. She's, she's hiding them where, where they don't go to the council, don't pick them up to landfill. She's covering them with bushes. She's unbelievable. But yeah, 12 months ago would not eat. She'd ring me on the side of the road, Christy, I've found this animal. You know, can you come out and help me? Like, yep, absolutely. But then we started to, I'd started to FaceTime with her and then she got through it like that, but unbelievable. Just I'm so proud of her.
0: It's wonderful because there's a person who has empathy yes. for the animal.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's it's more pouches that are getting checked that I might not see in the morning because obviously I don't go that way. And the, most of the time, as you know, we we go to get them, and well, especially in the City of Whittlesea, the councils, you know, pick them up straight away. We we don't even get a chance to do a pouch check because they're just bang straight on it. So at least you know we get a few extra check that wouldn't have been checked. No, not everybody rings them in, which is my biggest and look. I shouldn't say it's my biggest pet hate, but it just, it really, really frustrates me because it's just a phone call. It's just got to make a call. That's all you got to do. You don't have to stay. You don't have to pay. Just make the call. And that's all I ask people to do.
0: It's simple, isn't it?
1: it? It it really is. And I I just, I don't understand why more people
0: don't. So. It's a very reasonable frustration. I think we all face the exact same problem. Uh, we're lucky in a way our council, our police, out here in this region, because of our interaction and work with them and turning up whenever they've needed a hand, Yes. we've built a rapport. Mm-hmm. And uh, I consider us to be very lucky. You know, the phone rings and it's a local copper saying, listen, we can go out in youth, but we'd like someone there to check the pouch. Yep, yep. Or if it's male and it needs to be put down, we'll put down. If not, yep. we'll wait till you arrive if it's female. That's so. Correct. Straight away, you've got a different level of communication, which makes your job a little bit harder when you're in the car heading out there because you're already forewarned, you know, uh, the species and the sex of the animal. And you just go into auto mode. You do. You,
1: you're exactly right. And I get in the car and I'm already in, well, you're in rescue mode, but I think most of the time you are, you, and it's horrible to say, but you, you're ready to for euthanasia because it's just you 've got to get your head into that sort of right headspace at the at that time and I think too you're already sort of preempting what you're about to see so and I shouldn't say nothing shocks me anymore but to an extent though nothing shocks me anymore and I know that's you know you'd probably be in the same sort of um, situation with how you deal with it it's you just get there and you do the rescue I suppose now I don't and as horrible as it sounds, I don't sort of see the injuries anymore or I, I, or I do, but it might be just for like a split second of, yep, yeah, got to euthanise that animal. I just, I tend to block it out now and I just do what needs to be done. And I don't know. And then I grieve obviously after and, and the, the emotion comes through. But yeah, I, I just, I get there and I do what I need to do.
0: Most cases are pretty darn obvious. You don't have to be a skeletal expert to realise the leg shouldn't be up behind the ear. Yeah. no. Yeah, and and my, the one that I absolutely detest is when I hear the word fence hanger. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I shut up every time I if I get a, a phone call or a text message comes through about a fence hanger. Yes, I'm exactly the same. It
0: just the heart sinks. Yeah, yeah, it's one—it's one of those more complex things, and if you're not there within 20 minutes, uh, the damage is done, and yep. etc. Yep. All you got to do is yep. turn up and do your job.
1: That's right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Is there anything? that we can do to promote your organization to get the uh, message out there. Would you like us to link? Uh, once this interview goes to air, it will appear as a podcast and on our uh, podcast page, we have a spot for a link. Would you like us to link Facebook or the website? Oh, I, uh, no!
1: Facebook would be great. Yeah. i, I... No. I, I write all my stories on Facebook so I do have Instagram but I don't use it as much because usually the wordings capped yes. uh, so I do use Facebook quite a bit
0: we'll add that link uh, and also your phone number zero four double two nine six nine seven zero three
1: that's, that's right. the
0: emergency number anytime
1: yes absolutely yep
0: some people say oh, I'm hesitant and you know we were two o'clock and on the way home from the pub and we were hesitant to ring no uh, we're there to answer the phone that's why we're called wildlife rescuers that's
1: right yeah no my my phone my phone only goes off if I haven't quickly charged it in time <laughs> um, but it gets as soon as I see quick straight onto a charger I did find though I, I do have a little I visited my dad on the weekend and I have a little black spot at his property so I've got a position my phone a little bit to the right, move it, you know, 10 degrees to the left and I've got the spot. So sit it
0: there and I don't move it just in case there's any calls. We mentioned wallabies and kangaroos. What other species have you had in?
1: Um, I have rescued wombats. Um, I had a two lovely gentlemen from the Nilambit Council. they went out to pick up a deceased wombat uh, on the road and they checked the pouch and they saw that there was a bub in the pouch. So they called that in straight away. So uh, so so grateful to them for doing that and they allowed me to again, take mum's body, hide mum's body, so she went back to nature and not ended up in landfill. I will rescue birds. They, they probably scare me more than a 100-kilo kangaroo. <laughs> they, they have beaks and talons. <laughs> but I have rescued a few birds. I had the privilege of res- rescuing a wedge-tailed eagle once, about 18 months ago, but unfortunately he had been shot and had to be euthanized, which was just devastating. But, look, I, I do go out and I will help a fox if a fox needs help. I've been out to deer before as well and euthanized deer. I'm not the type of person to say, oh, no, I'm not helping that because it's non-native. No, every animal deserves, you know, a dignified end. So if I can do that for them, I will.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. It's what it's all about, isn't it?
1: Oh, it is. It is, and and they are technically they're still wildlife. So just because they're non-native, it doesn't. It's not their fault. You know? We imported them. That's exactly right. We brought them here. For sh- pardon me, but for shits and giggles. So yes.
0: Yeah. A good they afternoon, just- shoot. What a brilliant idea, rabbits and foxes. That was brilliant. I'd yeah. love to have a word with the person who thought that one up.
1: <laughs> me, me too. Me too. Yeah. So yeah. No, I'll, I'll go out and I'll help. Uh, anything.
0: All right. Christy we'll leave it there thank you so much for your time.
1: Uh, thanks for having me it was, it was a privilege thank you.
0: As usual with all interviews on this program once recording has stopped we have a chat for a while and talk about the issues that affect everyone involved with wildlife and Christy asked if she could add a final plea so of course back to Christy.
1: More about just making the call I can't stress that enough you know and I think, as I said before, it's you don't have to stay, you don't have to pay. It's just make the call, you know, help help these animals get the help that they need. You know, they don't deserve the treatment that they receive from being left on the side of a road. Or, you know, we've we've got another rescuer out at Macedon Ranges as well who's attending to so many animals, or so kangaroos specifically that have been shot. You know, and just left now. That's a whole other argument, but that's a disgrace. So, just yeah, if you see an injured animal, just please get them help. Please.
0: Now, we speak with Helen from the East Trentham Wildlife Shelter. Helen has appeared on this program previously. And I grabbed a short little interview with Helen uh, because I know she'll tell it like it is. Feeding a warm bottle of milk to a cute, fluffy little creature with big doe eyes looking up at you out of a snug bag, how could there be any stress or trauma involved with raising wildlife?
2: How did that sweet little joey get to you? Was its mother shot? Was its mother hit by a car? Was its mother attacked by dogs? When you raise that joey and you release it, is it going to get hit by a car? Is it going to get shot? Is it going to get attacked by dogs? That joey might be loving its bottle at one end and doing diarrhoea at the other end and that diarrhoea could lead to dehydration and you don't know how to fix it. There's angst any mother feels and when you raise kangaroos, you are their mum. And so... It's very normal to feel very stressed and very sad and, and hesitant and upset about what could be your joey's future. You know, you, you hope for the best but you plan for the worst and quite often you cannot plan your children's future so that they are safe or healthy. And kangaroos have a 73% juvenile mortality rate during the good times. Sometimes this job is like you're losing your dog every week. And sometimes it's you that has to end your animal's life. You know, there's nothing quite like putting a captive bolt to the back of the head of an animal that you've reared.
0: How long, yeah. I, I think that image is pretty strong. Let's go back a step before this wonderful little native creature comes into your care. It has to be rescued or, or, or brought to you. The rescue,
2: the rearing, the raising, if you work with wildlife, you are invited. You know, we often joke it as a fast track to PTSD. And I think we've got to stop being scared about talking about that. We have to debrief to each other. We have to support each other. We have to not be judgmental. And when we need it, we need to get help. I'll be the first one to say I've gone and had therapy when I've needed it. And it's worth it. There's no shame. There's nothing to be frightened of. I want to keep doing this job, which means I need to look after myself physically and mentally and emotionally. So, if anybody out there is feeling a bit wobbly, you know,
0: get some help. It's great. It works. Thank you, Helen. I sincerely thank you for that. There's so many issues we could cover. Now, I know you're involved with rescue, rehabilitation, release, every, every side of it. Yeah. How do you keep doing it day after day?
2: I think often the question is how can I not do it when they need me? How do I walk away? I can't walk away. I'm trapped. But by the same token, I, with every Joey I lose, I have to concentrate on the next Joey. It's like when you foster dogs, when you place a dog into its new home and your heart's breaking, even though your dog is that dog is embarking on its happy new life, you're left with a a hole in your heart, and you store it up and you save it for the next dog. And it's the same with the, with the wildlife. It's, you, you focus on the next animal. You always make sure that if, if an animal dies or suffers or something bad happens because of it could have been circumstance or it could have been what you did, you always take from it whatever you can learn. And, folks, you know, we've all had animals die and it's been our fault. And that's okay. You're not a vet. You're not a trained professional. You have no support. And that shit happens. But it doesn't mean you're a really bad person and it doesn't mean you're a failure. And I think the internal dialogue you have with yourself after incidents like that is really important. I think you you have to forgive yourself and you have to review your actions and review them critically to see what you can learn from them to make you a better carer, so that every loss makes you a better carer. But for God's sake, don't keep beating yourself up. You know, don't, don't, don't punish yourself. You know, we all make some mistakes. It's what you do afterwards that matters. And if you are punishing yourself or you are having trouble getting over trauma, reach out. Talk to another carer that you know and trust or seek, you know, seek the help of a professional because a professional will ask you the questions that you need to ask yourself and you're you're paying them to do that and to keep quiet about your answers. So if you don't feel like you've got another carer you can talk to, talk to a professional because they're not going to repeat what you say.
0: Very important. That's the reason of this program is to let all the carers, the rescuers, uh, vet staff, anyone who comes in contact with wildlife, can have 100% confidential, 100% free counseling from Wild Talk. And we've got to get it out there because in trying to prepare this program, I knew I could come to you and get the Fed Income story. But I had shelters who wouldn't talk to me because they were afraid of ramifications. There were rescuers who wouldn't talk to me because they were afraid that their organisation might ostracise them if they say they consider they need some mental health. I understand
2: how they feel, but that's just unsustainable. And you've got to look after yourself. If you had a sore back, you would go and see a doctor and get painkillers. If you had a broken arm, you would go see a surgeon. If you have difficulties emotionally coping with this life, then you go see someone to help you get out of that rut because there's no way you can do animal rescue and rearing and raising animals without trauma. And getting help to manage your trauma is the kindest thing you can do to yourself and for the animals in your care. We've come a long way. It's twenty twenty two now, and we can talk about mental health and not not judge others and not be fear, fearful of being taken away to the nut house. If you don't have emotional problems while you're doing wildlife rescue work, there's something wrong with you.
0: Uh, I got to get that on a t-shirt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so we need to, you know, we need to pull together to pull together for each other and we need to we have to acknowledge our own, our own frailties, face them and not be frightened of them or think that we're the only ones feeling that way.
0: That's certainly what I've heard over the last week is no, you're not alone, I'm not alone. Everyone I spoke to is not alone. It just feels that way sometimes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh look! I'm going to be straight up and just say it. Get help if you need it, folks, and don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Be proud if you've got the strength to go forward and get what you need. Just asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, I've learnt that uh, in conversations with Francis from Wild Talk. And uh, I just want to thank you so much. I'm only making this short because there are, as I said, I come across shelter operators, carers, rescuers that would have liked to have spoken on this program, but they didn't feel safe to. We've got to encourage them, do something so they do feel safe, because it's their opinions we need to hear.
2: It is. And look, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm 53 now, so... The switch has gone off in my head and I really don't give a flying duck <laughs> about what people think. I'm, you know, Age has that wonderful liberating quality. When you get older, you realise that you spend a hell of a lot of time trying to please and make people that you actually don't like, like you. And so you know, don't waste time worrying what the f wits think. Don't worry about what they think. Stay true to yourself. Look after yourself. Look after your animals. Get help if you need it. And thank you for what you do, everybody, because each and every wildlife rescuer and carer, you're only human, but what fabulous humans you are.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I find myself uh, every day in awe of the people I come in contact with. And it's not just sheer numbers either. It's the care that has to be given to each individual animal to get a successful outcome. And that drains it from you. So everyone has to have a well, somewhere they can go to to replenish themselves. And if we can encourage people to seek some counselling, or maybe even a debrief after a particularly nasty rescue call-out, all that will help to keep the system working.
2: Absolutely. And if Francis is offering free free services, you know, with this wildlife counselling. Folks, if you've tried to get in to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you know there's a massive backlog at the moment. So if there's a service here that's available and it's free and you can get in, what are you waiting for?
0: Good point. I rung the number and asked for an appointment in 20 minutes. I had a call back from a professional with a one-hour consultation.
2: Oh, these people are fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic and I cannot thank them
0: enough. Yeah. Helen, look, look, we'll leave it there. I just wanted to grab for your opinion because, you know, I joke and I say I value your opinion or else you'd beat it into me anyway. But I know, (laughs) look, I know that you just don't care. You work despite of the system, not within the system.
2: I work with people and animals and I don't work... I don't care about the system. You do, you you work by, you do the right thing.
0: There's a lot of lovely people that joined our conservation department thinking they could do something for animals, but the department beat that out of them very quickly. The only people doing anything for wildlife are the volunteers so we've got to support them
2: absolutely because the andrew government should be hung you know, hung drawn and quartered for what they're doing to our native wildlife and to our flora and fauna they are, they're, they're nothing short of climate criminals and if anyone's feeling hopeless or wondering what they can do just remember Victorian Victorian listeners there's an election in November
0: yes yes and, and so far in tonight's program, I haven't mentioned Andy Medic once yet. Uh, Mention
2: Andy Medic and I'm going to crack a moisty or get a wide on. I love that. I've worked with him on so many campaigns and in so many instances. And he's the real deal. He does deliver. He's he's intelligent and he's across all the issues, not just animal issues, but all the issues. And he's a good lateral thinker and he's a, a, a critical thinker. And I know his staffer Georgie Purcell is going to be running in my area to try and get into the upper house, and I'll be doing everything I can in my power to try and get her in because I've worked with her on the Duck campaign, I've worked with her during Oscar's Law, I've just I've worked with her and both her partner Ward, and um, they're fabulous people. There are good people out there, so we need to get behind them and let's create a hung parliament that is in the power, you know, in the balance. Well, whatever government we get, they're a minority, and they are answerable to the Greens and to the Animal Justice Party.
0: Wouldn't that be wonderful?
2: So if, oh, it, it's what we need. As London's burning this week. There are forty degrees in Holland today. We're at endgame stage, folks. So it's time to get up off, you know, get up and get active. You know, we've What have you got to lose? Only everything if we don't get mobilising. There's sanity, sanity to be found in actually doing something. You know, people say, oh, no, I couldn't handle the stress. I couldn't handle the anxiety. Well, I'll tell you what, doing something about it alleviates all that. And there was a study, I think it was published in The Guardian this week, supporting what I'm saying. So if you're feeling, if you're feeling freaked out, do something. you feel better knowing that you've done everything you could.
0: Helen Ryan, thank you so much.
2: Hey, Rob, thank you, and good night, dear listener.
0: Wild Talk, free counselling service for all those involved with wildlife. An important issue. Let's go straight to the interview with Francis. Francis, can you tell us what is Wild Talk?
3: Wild Talk is a charitable organisation that I started in January 2020, that helps provide or does provide counselling and debriefing and training services to wildlife volunteers and workers. So this includes not only people who volunteer for charitable organisations like WIRES, Wildlife Victoria, all those big organisations and all the smaller little organisations that happen to crop up around the country, like Wildcare, ACT Wildlife, Laoka, places like that. We also provide services to researchers, conservationists, rangers and veterinary professionals, everybody who provides help to wildlife. I think it's important to know as well that we don't discriminate against native versus non-native wildlife. So if you happen to be a fox carer or a pigeon carer or a dog carer, whatever it is, so we just don't do domestic animals. But we're very aware that those that are caring for non-native wildlife do get quite a lot of vilification. So we look after their mental health as well.
0: As I always say, Francis, these species never asked to come to Australia. They were bought out for our entertainment and they deserve humane treatment and, and the people caring for them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I did a drive I did a drive from Canberra, which is where I live to Sydney and back a couple of weeks ago, and I put a post up on my Facebook page saying that I'd seen 114 deceased animals along the way. It's about a 550 kilometer round trip. And I'd seen, I can't remember the exact figures, but I'd seen sort of like, you know, 20 odd or 60 odd kangaroos, 20 odd uh, foxes and a whole heap of wombats. And I'd been able to move I'd been able to move about twenty-four of the animals because I was able to stop safely and actually move them and pouch check. And sadly there was no there was no happy endings in any of that trip. But the amount of people that commented, there's not enough foxes in that number. You know, they deserve good, good. good. I'm really pleased to see that number of foxes. And I, I commented underneath every single one saying they didn't ask to be here, they're just trying to survive. And no animal. No animal deserves to be smashed to smithereens by a car. So funnily enough, they didn't come back with any smart ass comments because (laughs) there isn't anything to say to that. You know, they're here because we brought them here. So it's our responsibility to look after them. And if we are gonna eradicate them, we need to do it
0: humanely, not by hitting them with cars. I'd normally pass out information at the end of an interview, but. Maybe during this interview, there may be someone listening who feels I could really, mm, perhaps I might turn this off or that's hitting home. Can I give out your counselling number?
3: Of course, it's 1300 Wild Talk. So we can service uh, people in New Zealand, UK and Australia. Unfortunately, we're not able to service people in the US because our insurance doesn't cover it. Um, it's the state of the litigious state of the U.S. unfortunately, we're, we're just not able to help support people in the U.S. But if they want to contact, if they are in the U.S. and they want to contact us via email, then they absolutely can. It's info at and we will do the best that we can to, to um, provide them with some support services that they can access in the U.S.
0: While we're on a run, don't forget wildtalk.org.au is the website. And just mentioning that website, thank you for putting up such good resources. I mean, there's uh, PDF downloads covering things such as grief and loss, self-care, dealing with stressed people. And that's one thing that, and I am coming from the rescuers, wildlife care, shelter operators point of view, quite often we do come in contact with stressed members of the public.
3: Yeah, we do and certainly do. Unfortunately, not all of them are very nice when they're stressed because they're stressed. And this is one of of the reasons why our resources are all aimed at people who are working with wildlife. So we're very we are specialists. They have been all those resources have been developed by myself. I would love to be able to develop more, but I do have to fit them in between the counselling. Um, and because we have little to no funding at the moment, government organisations don't uh, fund us, uh, government bodies don't fund us. A lot of the big big organisations have also not, cho- have chosen not to fund us at this point. We get small small supports from some of the smaller organisations who are very, very keen to support their people. And, you know, it's just the way the way that it is. Wild Talk exists because when we had the COVID packages where we were able to withdraw money from our super fund to support ourselves, I actually put both of mine into Wild Talk. So that's one of the reasons why Wild Talk is in existence. Done the numbers, we received five and a half thousand dollars worth of donations last financial year. We did have some partnerships come on board, which was amazing. And... But the five and a half thousand dollars pays for 28 hours of counselling. Now, we did over 800 and something. (laughs) I don't have the the exact number off the top of my head. But we did we did more than 28 just in the ACT uh, last year. So the only place that came even close to having 28 was Tasmania, where we did 47 um, hours of counselling. This year we've done 64 hours of counselling. New South Wales, uh, last year we did 269 hours of counselling and debriefing, and this year we've done 332. So it's a real problem. I do a lot of counselling for free, but I also have to do my private practice so that I can pay other counsellors to help me because the numbers are just exor- uh, over a thousand hours in the last the last 12 months with Wild Talk.
0: Francis, h- how does it work? I have rescued an animal, I work for an organisation that is involved with animals, I'm a wildlife carer, I'm a, I volunteer for a shelter and I'm in need to speak to someone. How does it work? Do I just ring that number?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Thing is here, it doesn't have to be about animals. So the only criteria that you need to have to call Wild Talk for whatever the issue is that you're experiencing is to be working or volunteering with wildlife. So if you're going through a marriage breakup, for instance, and you're a vet who works with wildlife, you can call us. Wild Talk has partnered with an employee assistance program called Eudoxia. They're based in Cairns in Queensland. And they're a small family run so mother, son, wife, the works, all work in this EAP. They man the phones for us, but they have got 1600 counselors, psychologists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, the works, on their books to take calls. So if you're going through an issue that isn't related to wildlife, you can speak to any one of those people, any one of those therapists across the country so you can either speak to them online face-to-face, or you could even go into their office and see them face-to-face if you wanted to. Now, the therapists that have done what I call the Wild Talk training, which is getting them familiar with the language of wildlife carers. There's about 28 of those across the country. At the moment, we're working on developing an ongoing professional um, development program for therapists around the wildlife. and. You know, but you can, you can call us for any reason. And it's literally as simple as calling the 1300 Wild Talk number every now, day
0: of the year. I imagine in chatting with you and thinking about the issue, my first thoughts are towards grief, loss, handling, having to put down wildlife that's severely injured. But, I mean, we can go into that, but you've mentioned financing of the organisation. Are you getting calls from people involved with wildlife where the financial issues are creating pressures on what they do?
2: Actually
3: surprisingly few. So our three main categories for people calling us are bullying and harassment or interpersonal relationships as we call them, trauma and stress and then grief and loss. Pretty much in that order. The majority of our calls are around those interpersonal relationships, and that's usually within organizations. The reason for the resource of the dealing with stressed members of the public is it's a little bit of a sort of sneaky get it in there. Because if we can use the skills that are on that sheet of resource with our, with our fellow carers, it's a really good way of showing compassion to, other, to others as well so i have a theory i haven't had an opportunity to test this or to research it which i would love but again funding is around the way people relate to each other so one of the things that i do whenever i do a face-to-face training is after everyone's done their introductions or their names and you know this is who i am and this is what i want to get out of today i'll ask the question by show of hands who here doesn't like people and what do you reckon, what do you reckon, you know, is the answer?
0: Yeah, you know, I threw my hand up. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, and that's pretty much the response with most most people. So I think today, with everybody that I've ever trained and done this with, I've only had one person not put their hand up. So, you know, we generally, people who are looking after and caring for wildlife don't have a whole heap of time for people. And we go back to those road traffic accidents, okay? If you're a carer and you've turned up to a kangaroo that hasn't that has been hit by a car and then that car hasn't stopped and checked or called it in if that happens enough you start not liking people if you're dealing with governments who are constantly culling kangaroo populations every year you're probably not going to like people very much because just as you said earlier on you know They didn't ask to be here so why are we being so nasty or the kangaroos were here a long time before we were but we're just you know stripping their land and you know we really need to start thinking about them more so you know we as as carers blame humans for the plight that we see of the animals that we care for so therefore we generally don't like humans very much and when we don't like humans what do we do we don't have a lot of compassion for people and things that we don't like very much. So if we don't like people, that also includes our fellow carers. And quite often the interpersonal dynamics that we see happening in organizations is because we're not showing that same compassion that we show to animals to each other.
0: And some very big organizations have been fractured right down the center because of those problems. Yeah, absolutely. Oh look, I do like people. I've got a list of the ones I don't.
3: (laughs) It's a very select list. Yes. Well, it comes back to those interpersonal dynamics again. You know, like I'm a therapist and people often ask me, oh, do you like people? And I'll say, no, not really, not that much. I like individuals. I work with individuals. Groups and big groups of people and the general populace. I don't think we have a huge amount of redeeming features as a general population we are becoming very very insular we're so disconnected and i say i say we i'm talking about the you know the overarching human population we're so disconnected from from nature we're so disconnected from where our food comes from You know we're so disconnected from the animals and the you know the way that animals influence what we eat and what we do every single day and that's what i don't like about humans and also the complete disinterest in actually finding that stuff out you know you know when you have a you know i've got i've got neighbors so i've got a possum box in my back garden i've got neighbors that are complaining about there being a possum in the neighborhood i'm like are you kidding me? Like it's a possum, it's not doing any damage, not doing any, and no problem. Oh, but it's eating my, it's eating my vegetables. So cover your damn vegetables up. It's actually not that interested in vegetables. It's actually going for the, for, for the flowers in the eucalypt trees. That, but it's just running along your back fence. I really struggle with that element of, of, of human beings. On an individual basis, I think they're great. They've got so much to add, but. When it comes to the en masse, we need to do something to reconnect the human race to the world that it's living on.
0: That's quite interesting because uh, you would think that people involved with wildlife would automatically have a more direct connection with the environment.
3: With the environment, yes. With other people, no. Carers are very much apart from the people who are causing the problems and they, they sometimes really struggle to show the compassion to those people i feel that the independence of wild talk is really really important to able to provide a an independent service to wildlife carers so i'm not doing animal care at all in any way but what i do do is i do still check pouches i do still move animals i do still help where I can in a very sort of like non membery kind of way because getting involved in the dynamics of organizations is actually just one of the worst things that I could possibly do and the carers themselves told me that so going back to going back to 2018 when I I, I saw a I saw a conference uh, a conference abstract call out and I thought, oh, I've never done one of those. I could give that a go. <laughs> so I did an abstract for Australian Wildlife Rehabilitation Conference in Sydney called Potential for Mental Health Issues in Wildlife Carers was the, was the title of that particular abstract. And they came back and we said, we'd love you to talk about this. And I kind of went, oh, <laughs> I'd better, <Really? laughs> I better, I better back some of these hypotheses up. <laughs> I had already been I had already been working with wildlife carers for free for about 4 years before that um just in my own private practice with my local groups. I was a member of a wildlife organization at the time and I was a reptile a reptile carer so I did turtles and lizards and um you know skinks and shinglebacks but I was also a snake catcher as well. And because that's what my lifestyle allowed me to do. I would have loved to have been a one back carer until I found out that it was like a three year commitment. And I kind of went, yeah, that's, I don't live the lifestyle for that at all. I was doing this work and I, I put a survey out and I sent this the survey that I had done to a number of organizations, including the big ones. And one of them actually came back to me and said, We don't have a mental health problem in our organization. Well, I kind of went, okay. so given that given that the numbers show that one in four people has a mental health issue, whether it's depression, anxiety, you know, these are generalized issues or specific issues, by the very nature of having more than four members, you have a mental health problem in your organization. But I kind of went, okay. and moved on. But I still got 500 odd responses to that particular survey. And one of the things that two two of the questions that I asked, the first question was, would you use a mental health service that was aligned with your, with your organisation? And the answer, about 85% of people said
0: no. Do you think that's because they felt it was within their organisation? So there wouldn't be the confidentiality involved
3: well this is this is the the second part of the question was why not if the answer was no and it was a it was an open question and the, the the responses came back with no because I'm afraid of confidentiality I'm scared that I will be punitively punished by having animals taken away from me not being given more animals or being socially isolated from the group for having a mental health issue so when i started planning and doing the business plan for wild talk i knew that i could not be a member of any organization so i gave up my wild care queen Bune membership in october 2019 which was just in time for my, pl- my my final planning of Wild Talk, which was due to go live in 2020 in August at the next conference, which of course didn't happen because of, because of COVID. And as it happened, we had to launch eight months early because of the bushfires. So all of the business cards that I had ever given out in the time for, at the conference and in, and in the time post the conference, and any training sessions that i did i think every every single one of them had passed my number on to all of their friends because i had about three weeks over the bushfire period where i was getting 15 or 16 calls a day so i kind of went mm, i can't wait till august to launch this thing it has to happen now
0: it wasn't a horrific period for everyone involved
3: well it was but the the, the really interesting thing was at that time we would just i was just debriefing i was just calming people and bringing their bringing their their amygdala you know their amygdala response back down to away from fight or flight because they were all so everyone that called me was so heightened they weren't in any position to be doing actually any counseling work it was just about bringing them back down to a level where they were actually able to function. So these were people that had ceased to be able to function. They were just so distraught. I would spend somewhere between half an hour to an hour on the phone with each of them. And it just got to the point where I didn't have enough hours in the day because I was also trying to do my day job, which is why I started Wild Talk early. But now what we've seen, and this is not uncommon with trauma, is we're only just starting to get the phone calls to actually deal with the bushfires now the actual counselling actual processing work so like 2 years later we're starting to get those calls very very slowly we are getting those distress calls again with the floods that are happening so we get the distress and the the heightened you know the heightened and we get the debriefing that happens at the time and then there's this quite significant delay As people kind of go, no, 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 I'm not going to deal with that. It's over. I've survived. I'm just going to push it down. I'm not going to deal with it. And then two, three years down the line, something happens which triggers everything. And then they kind of go, actually, now I have to deal with that thing that happened. What fires we are dealing with are the ones that happened in, I want to say, 2010 down in Victoria, where Kings Lake. We're dealing, we're getting a lot of calls about those fires now.
0: Uh, I'm surprised at that. Mm. I I got involved with wildlife rescue during the 1983 Ash Wednesday bushfires. Wow. Every time I see those images, it triggers. Uh, Because we had no idea what we were doing. There wasn't the control over fire grounds. There wasn't organisations. It was just a whole bunch of volunteers wandering into dangerous forest fire areas and trying to do their best. It was just Armageddon. I just wish we had something like wild talk available then, but it may have still taken time to surface, as you pointed out with the mm. fires.
3: Well, it, it, you know, it's interesting you say that, Robert, because, you know, on the 2019-2020 fires, the the debriefing that we were doing was that people weren't allowed in to the fire zones early enough. So by the time the wildlife carers were actually allowed into the fire zones, which was sometimes two or three weeks after the fire had gone through, because they had to make sure that the SES and the RFS had to make sure that the fires were absolutely out before they were allowed, the wildlife carers were allowed into to do the rescue. Now, the arguments here and the distress here was caused by the fact that that was too late. It was too long. So, by the time they were allowed in, anything that was found alive had to be euthanized. We then have, you know, all these people that are trying to rescue animals and they deeply, deeply care. And we see this with roadside incidents as well. They deeply, deeply care. And the only option in many cases is euthanasia via violent means. So, wildlife carers. Very, 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 very rarely, unless they have a veterinary professional with them, have the kind green dream as an option. The only way to euthanize is through violent means, which is absolutely devastating to many of the carers and rangers.
0: It's devastating for everyone involved in this, (laughs) and it's also devastating on members of the public who have taken the time to call in about this injured animal. And when you explain to them that, Euthanasia was the only option because of the injuries. Yep. Then to resort to violence is very hard for some members of the public to handle. Yes. So you know, by extension, everyone's getting hurt by this.
3: Hmm. So I remember it was, it was the first day of a new job. It was a few years ago, and I was driving. I was driving to work. So this is before Wild Talk started. I was. I was a wildlife carer. And I was driving to work and I saw these two people standing on the side of the road and um, he was hugging her. And you know, little look back, there was a kangaroo that was obviously quite badly injured on the side of the road. So I pulled over and I said, you know, are you okay? And they said, oh, we've tried to call, insert name of um, not appropriate wildlife um, organization here. And I said, I'm sorry, but they don't operate in this area. We need to call the local bunch. And they were like, oh, we don't know who that is. We're just new in the area. I said, okay, it's okay, I can call. And then I got a look at the kangaroo and I could see that both of her legs were broken. But I could also see that she had quite a well-developed joey in her pouch as well. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to be late for my new job. (laughs) Um, So I called the rescue organization and I then went back to the couple and I said, look, I'm happy to stay here. And they were like, no, 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 we want to know what happens. And I said, no, you don't. I said no, you don't. I said because I've uh, that there is only one outcome for this, and you do not want to be here to, to to witness that. And then that of course set her off, and I you know they did go, and then the police came, and I think it was about eight shots that they took before they finally managed it. Well, it's the wrong, they're using the wrong type of firearm, you know, and they're they're not they're not trained to hit such a small target. When police train, they train to hit center body mass. That's not the right target for when you're trying to euthanize a kangaroo. And as it was, the, you know, the joey was absolutely fine. We bundled the joey up into a pouch and the, and the joey found place with a, with a carer. So the joey was lucky, but there was no way we could save that kangaroo on the side of the road. But I had to have that conversation with the couple that had originally stopped and tried to call the wrong organization. It's just the way it goes.
0: There's a lot of people listening to this program tonight that will identify. And
3: I'm really sorry for your listeners. You know, we are we are there for you. You know, we don't we don't discriminate. It is about caring for wildlife. If I can tell you a a kind of graphic story, but this is how I've this is what I've been doing recently. I've been doing a lot of conferences, so I'm trying to raise the awareness of the mental health of wildlife carers by going to conferences to, with groups of people that can absolutely work better with us and one of the conferences that i went to in march of 2022 was the frontline workers conference it's worth noting here that at the moment i'm about four months post hip surgery so i had a hip replacement um, at the end of march the story that i'm about to tell you happened about two weeks before i had my hip replacement so i cannot explain to you how much pain i was in and how many how many Fs I had to give by the end of the second day of being questioned why I was at the conference. Because you just work with wildlife carers. They're not frontline workers. And I'm like, well, I'm here to try and persuade you that actually they are. So I was sat at a table. It was late in the afternoon on the second day. So it was coming towards the end of the conference. I was in so much pain. I was holding back tears. And this guy said to me, he was wearing a uniform, and he was clearly someone quite significant in one of the services that wears blue. <laughs> I don't know which one it was. Could have been could have been police, could have been, could have been fireys. I don't know. Could have been ambos. They all wear navy blue. He did the usual, why are you here, after I introduced myself. And I said, I want you to imagine a scenario. And I used a, I used a sort of sing-songy voice. And I said, I want you to imagine a scenario. I said, you turn up to an MVA. So I know the lingo, motor vehicle accident. You turn up to an MVA and you've got a mother in the driver's seat and her little baby is in, is in a carrier in the back seat. And they're so badly injured that all you can do is shoot them in the head. You can't call an ambulance. You can't call the friaries with the jaws of life. All you can do is put a gun to them and shoot them. And he looked at me and went, don't be so bloody ridiculous. And I said, but I'm not being ridiculous. That's what wildlife rescuers have to do every day. And everybody on the table went quiet. And I said, but that's why I'm here, because wildlife rescuers are frontline workers. The mental health toll that their volunteer work it does is equal to what recognised frontline workers get. Not every day, but they're doing it every day and they're not being paid for it and they're not being given the provision of mandatory counselling after they go to a scene like that. Whereas as a police officer or a fire or an ambo, they're offered counselling as a mandatory thing.
0: Oh, look, even the debriefing after an incident that helps put a a line after what you've just seen.
3: As somebody who has done this work, our byline is we understand the animals. We understand you because that's one of the things that I, I have never and will never tell a wildlife carer not to do this work because I know it is not a hobby. You do not put yourself through this because you, because it's fun because it's downtime because it's self care this is a, this, it's it's a calling whereas i also know that and i've had callers tell me this that they were wary about calling wild talk because they didn't know if they were going to be told to stop doing what they're doing because they had been by previous mental health support that they had sought from general practice or from counselors on mental health care plans so That's, you know, when I get questioned, why is wild talk needed? It's because we speak the same language. I know what a mass heat stress event is. I know what that looks like. I know what that smells and sounds like. You don't need to explain it to me.
0: That's a big difference.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, somebody who hasn't or doesn't have an interest in animals is never going to get that. You won't get that to build that rapid relationship that's required in a therapeutic relationship. They know the grief and loss theory, they know the trauma theory, and yes, that is absolutely important. But to build that therapeutic alliance, which is the official name, that therapeutic relationship, having to not have it to explain what you've just seen or what you've just witnessed is absolutely vital because a we don't want to re-traumatize you by getting you to tell the story again but also it means that you don't have to actually say to me oh but you know oh how do I, how do i you know i I don't say oh but what oh what's a pinky what's a velvet i know what those i know what those terms are so and that's what i've taught my my therapists that work specifically on wildlife calls is they know that language. I've actually taught them that language if they didn't already know it because they've done their own wildlife work at some point in the, in the past.
0: Just not having to explain what a fence hanger is.
3: No. Absolutely. Yeah, that's horrific. That, they can be horrific.
0: Young or old. Yeah. Some have been hanging there for days.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the, again, it comes back to that noise and that smell and the, you know, the fear and all that, all those all those things not having to explain what that looks like is absolutely vital for wildlife carers
1: yeah
0: but to get that rapport with someone who would like to have a chat i imagine first you've got to have them make contact with you
3: absolutely yeah and they don't and they don't
0: no, no, so look i'm involved <laughs> with wildlife okay i I I wash the floors at the local vet clinic or I'm a wildlife rescuer what should I be thinking about what should I be looking at what are the early signs that perhaps I should spend a few moments and put in a call to Wild Talk you actually
3: don't you can have just check-ins as well you know I I quite often you know I'm a big I'm a big fan a big advocate of you know having a counselling session just to just to Debrief the last couple of months, even if nothing particularly bad has happened. But stuff happens. Like I have clients that come to me and I go, what would you like to talk about today? And they go, I don't know, nothing's really happened. I go, okay, so last time I met you, we talked about such and such. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, that really went tits up. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay, (laughs) tell me more. (laughs) And then suddenly they just, it just starts, all this stuff just starts flowing out. So, you know, as wildlife carers, we're really good at just taking, taking all those little things in and just burying them. You know, like, for instance, I've lost count of the amount of times that I've had things thrown at me or I've had abuse thrown at me when I've been doing rescues or when I've been moving animals off the road. You push all of those down. You kind of go, no, that, that's that's not on me. That's on them. That's their, you know, that's their poor behaviour. But after a while, that stuff sinks in. So if you find yourself being, you know, intolerant of things that people say, if you find yourself tired, not wanting to deal with human beings or deal with people, that's usually a pretty good sign. You know, if, you, if you're if you finding that you're just avoiding going out, you know, if you're avoiding, I mean, I know the wildlife carers don't have that as an option anyway, but if you're avoiding making, you know, if you're avoiding making the phone call, that's probably a pretty good sign that there's something going on. That first phone call is actually one of the strongest things that a lot of people will ever do because they're actually admitting that they need to talk to somebody. It's not a failure. It's actually one of the first things that you can do to start looking after yourself.
0: What about if I'm experiencing stronger feelings of trauma, grief, loss?
3: Yeah, absolutely call us. You know, that's that's literally our bread and butter is working with grief and loss and trauma. You know, and it is about... We're not going to expect you to tell that story straight away. We're not, in fact, in some cases, we don't even want you to tell the story. We want to know what's happening for you right now. You know, what, what's, hap- what, you know what's happening for you now? We don't. We don't, as therapists, we don't need to know the story. If telling us the story is going to help, then we will listen, but we don't need to know it. And I think this is something that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, but I'm going to have to tell the story again. Yes. But you're not. Like, I will quite often, if I have somebody start to tell me a story of something that's really traumatic for them, I'll often say to them, I'm just going to stop you for a moment. It's not because I don't want to know. It's because I want to know if this is going to help you. Because if you're telling me because you think I need to know, I don't. What I'm interested in as a therapist is what's happening for you right now. Let's work on what's happening for you in the moment right now. And that story will naturally come out in bits and pieces over time. But it's not about going into session one and immediately talking about the thing that happened, because quite often that's actually one of the worst things that we can do for counselling. In debriefing, we do that in a slightly different way for wildlife carers as well. We don't actually get you to tell the story of what happened. We get you to tell it in reverse so that you're not actually embedding that imagery in your mind.
0: Oh, see, that's why you've got the certificates on the wall and I'm just another (laughs) schmuck on the street. That, 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 That makes sense.
3: Yeah so I'm actually an EMDR therapist as well which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing it's a it's a therapeutic method that was developed by a lady in the 80s called Francine Shapiro in the US specifically for veterans who come back from war and I I found that this has been absolutely invaluable when working with wildlife carers Um, so it's, I'm extremely passionate about it and it's actually quite a rapid. And the beauty of it is that we don't work in that particular methodology. And this isn't all of the therapists in Wild Talk, um, but it is me. We don't work from the story. We work from an image. So tell me a movie that you've seen regularly or often. One that sticks in your mind. Pulp Fiction. Okay, Pulp Fiction. Okay, so most people would be able to recognize John Travolta and Uma Thurman on the dance floor doing the dance. Okay, exactly. So if, you know, that that hands and the eye movement is a very, you know, it's quite a sort of pop culture reference. And most people, if they saw that image, would be able to recognize it and would be able to freeze frame it and go, that's Pulp Fiction. So when we're working in EMDR and we're working with trauma, what we do is we work with the negative cognition or the negative belief that we have about ourselves from that trauma. So in the case of wildlife, for instance, it might be I was helpless. Okay, that's just an example, a common one, but but an example. So then the image that flashes up when we think of I am helpless might be the image that we've just described. It's two people dancing on a dance floor. We don't tell the story of how they got to the dance floor or what happened after they were on the dance floor so we don't then go on to say oh but you know they were dancing and they were having fun and then she took too much coke and he had to put atropine in her heart <laughs> which is what we know that happens but if that's a tra- if that's that's the traumatic story we don't want to tell that story because that's you know we don't want to embed that we just want to have this image of two people dancing on the dance floor having fun so we work from that image, not the story of the image. So it means that we're not re-traumatizing our brain by going through the whole story.
0: Akira, I know, i said a couple of times now that the easiest way to get PTSD is to deal with Eastern Grey kangaroos.
3: <laughs> yeah, they are. They're particularly sensitive, yes.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, from all the other reasons, but. It's also because at the moment, especially here in Victoria, although it's been faced interstate for many years, we have the increase in the commercial killing of kangaroos for pet food. Yep. So not only do all the uh, rescuers and carers, wildlife shelters, have to deal with the rescue, the treatment, and the rehabilitation of a joey, which is easily 12 to 14 months of work. Yep. Then to release it, to have this overriding pressure is how long before originally it was hit by a car or predated by a dog or illegally shot by some boys having a few cans on saturday night yeah but now how long before it turns up in a can of pet food
3: yeah yeah we do get we actually do get calls about this we've had calls from the act too with the with the culling that happens every year so recently we had a call from somebody who lived near the property and they could hear the gunshots and it actually triggered their ptsd from being in a war zone they were a member of the public but they knew that we dealt with the animals and we knew that you know they they, were, they knew that i could help so they called me so we do get lots of calls we got lots of calls from victoria when the heritage kangaroo thing was happening We got lots of calls when the kingly kangaroo thing was happening so we do get calls from the members of the public that are also worried about these animals and worried about the rules and the, the legislation that the government's put into place unfortunately we we don't have the resources to go in and lobby against these things although i will be at the um i will be at the culling protest that's happening in the act later in later this week to sort of let you know fly the flag for wild talk and fly the flag for wildlife carers because you know eastern greys they're on our damn emblem for crying out loud why the hell are we killing them you know it seems absolutely ludicrous to me and you know when people say that they're in plague proportions i really want to know who these people are who are actually seeing these animals in plague proportions because i know for a fact i sure as hell aren't And I've only lived in the ACT for six years, and I've seen a dramatic drop in the amount of animals that I see when I go for my walks.
0: Oh, yeah. Listen, I've been speaking with a few people from the ACT. We've done a couple of programs on it. The figures are fudged. Of course. Absolutely ridiculous. Places like Red Hill. And I I was just trying to recall the other nature reserve where a massive shoot took part. And people are devastated. Well,
3: 6,000 last year. Yeah. 1,600 this year.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't include joeys in, in pouch or at foot that are left behind. No. no. That's causing trauma, and not just people who are involved with kangaroo issue, but the, the shootings taking place. I remember one of the reserves where shooting was actually uh, happening, within two kilometres of that park was 16 international embassies. This killing's happening in the middle of a city. That can't be good for people's well-being.
3: You know, the thing I find is that we're, we're known as the bush capital. Stop killing the damn wildlife that lives in the bush. It's like, it just seems absolutely ludicrous to me. And, you know, I'm I, I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because it's so in, utterly
0: unfathomable. It makes it more difficult when concerned people who decide for one time, I'm going to do something, I'm going to ring someone, oh, I can stop this, surely they don't know what's going on. And they're told by the authorities that, no, well, we've had really nice consultation periods and we're not talking to anyone about this. That can't be good for people's well-being either. No, no. Straight off the issue slightly, only because you mentioned ACT and it's really hot with me at the moment. Well, it's uh,
3: the, where I live? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I did try. I did try to get my new house in in New South Wales, but I couldn't find anywhere to rent in New South Wales, so I ended up in the ACT. Well, it's
0: almost New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a person that walking along through a park, a park that they visit quite regularly. An example of this, I won't mention a person's name, but in, in two thousand 16 I think it was in one of the Canberra reserves and I'm pretty sure the place was called Isaac's Ridge this person who Really saw 40 kangaroos in the park and they just looked up and said, oh, it's that Walker again suddenly she's confronted by Department officials and shooters and police told if she doesn't leave she can face a $7,000 fine and they went ahead and shot, but not only the kangaroos, also the wallaroos, the redneck wallabies and the swamp wallabies also disappeared out of the park. Just coincidence. That's, in,
3: that's interesting because I, I, my understanding, I mean, it might be different now. Um, 2016 is kind of before before my before my time of when I had quite as much knowledge as I do now. I know that now in the ACT, you're, they're not allowed to rehabilitate eastern greys, but they can rehabilitate everything else. So it's amazing how many Eastern Grey kangaroos get found in Jerobomba or <laughs> It
0: only has to be the other side of the road
3: you know. <laughs> See, literally i mean you know and this I think leads to the apathy of the of the general public and the members of the public as well is that you know quite often they know that they can't they can't do anything, you know, and the rangers are just going to come and shoot them anyway. So why bother calling them in? It hopped off. Why why bother, you know, why bother going and finding the animal and then calling it in? You know, if they do hit an animal and it hops away, they just leave it. And then, of course, the wildlife carer comes along and has to deal with the mess that's left over. This is very much a case of, you know, the kangaroo hitting me rather than me hitting the kangaroo. I was driving home in December last year and I was coming into one of the new suburbs, you know, where basically the whole bloody lot's been strip-mined of of everything good, and a kangaroo hopped across the road. And I saw him coming, and in hindsight, if I hadn't have braked, I probably would have missed him, and he would have missed me, but he probably would have been caught by the four-wheel drive and the bull bar behind me. So I braked. So by the time he hit my car, and and he did hit my car, He literally bounced along the side of my car and has dented every single panel on the driver's side of my car. I was pretty much stationary. I know that he hopped away, but I still called it in and I still spent about an hour and a half trying to find this kangaroo and the rangers came and um, a local wildlife person came as well. But I've also had reassurances that because he, he didn't actually come into contact with the front of my car at any point, he was probably going to be perfectly OK and probably would wake up the next day feeling quite bruised and battered in the in the hips and the shoulder, but wouldn't have been broken. And I think that was the main thing for me was that, you know, I did that. I did everything that I was supposed to do, but I have to say I felt pretty bloody awful for a little while. But then I also know that if I hadn't have stopped, he would have almost certainly been clipped by the car behind me. Interestingly, the three cars that were behind me did not stop to find out if I was okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that happens.
3: And I think that 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 comes back to that mentality again of, you know, th- this disconnect from each other and this disconnect from nature.
0: Well, thank goodness for Wild Talk. I mean, seriously, People involved with wildlife are there because they get something out of it. Mm. Um, the, the person themselves may not be able to tell you what they get out of it, but it's a part of human nature as far as I know. You you do something because you do get something out of it.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody does anything because, it's because they're entirely selfless. I mean, you know, even if you feel good from helping somebody, that's still not a selfless act because you still feel good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, the way i've always understood it but no matter where we're coming from there's a lot of people out there who are committed to assisting specifically wildlife in all different mm. areas and mm. then know that we have wild talk as a backup in case we're having a bad day or in case as you said you don't have to be facing a major trauma incident maybe just a little bit of house cleaning might be helpful
3: yeah so you know if you you know you go to the doctor if you you go to the doctor if, you, you the doctor if you're feeling unwell and it may or may not be something big, but you went and you made sure you were okay. You know, you went and had your blood pressure checked. Your blood pressure's fine, but you went and you made sure it was okay. And that's that's good. That's the attitude that we need to start having towards mental health is that, you know, we have a lot of stuff that goes on in our body that's invisible. You know, most people use, you know, the broken leg as an example. Like if you had a broken leg, would you go to the hospital and get it fixed? Well, of course. Of course you would you've got a bone sticking out your leg you're going to go and get it fixed we need to start having the mentality that getting your checkup for your head is also okay so you know with wild talk you do get up to six sessions free of charge but unlike most employee assistance program or well, we're a volunteer assistance program really is if you get to the end of your six sessions we will will most of them will cut you off that's it you're done you've had your six sessions we don't do that at Wild Talk. So if you still need to maintain or want to maintain the relationship with the therapist because you have developed a relationship over those six sessions, we will continue to pay that therapist on your behalf. We just ask that you start to contribute to those sessions. But we also know that wildlife carers aren't rolling in cash because all of their money goes to feeding and housing the animals. So. It costs $187 to provide every wildlife counselling session that I don't do because Muggins here still does them for free. But every every session that's provided by another therapist costs, costs Wild Talk $187. So if you, and we're never going to say no, to, we're never going to say no if you want to contribute to any of your sessions. But after the six, we would like you to contribute something. And that, that can be as much as $5. It doesn't, and if, but if you can afford the full amount, fantastic. But if you can't, we're not gonna cut you off and tell you that you that that's it, you're done. You can't see that therapist anymore. Because as a therapist, I know how important and how 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 crucially one that relationship was. So the last thing I'm going to do is cut you off from that support. So that's why, you know, while we provide six sessions, so it's three plus three, we will continue to provide that service to you beyond that six because we know how important that relationship is if it's maintained.
0: The thing I would like to push right now is that number 1300, three double zero nine four five three eight to go to the website wildtalk.org.au, email info at wildtalk.org.au, Facebook, got to get Facebook in, Wild Talk with the subheading Caring for Wildlife Workers and Volunteers.
3: And Instagram, we're also on Instagram as well, Wild Talk Caring for Carers.
0: How could I forget Instagram? (laughs)
3: And I tweet. I tweet under my own. I tweet under my own handle, but I don't really do. It. I just do all sorts of random stuff on that.
0: Oh, listen. I, I was given a t-shirt that said "Real men don't tweet," so I. I, I do.
3: I actually. Find, I've, I've. I've actually found what I found about Twitter is, an um, Instagram. It's really. It's really really interesting because I'm too old for TikTok. I'm not doing all that crap. I can't be bothered. But um, I just can't. Really? What I've, what I've there discovered... goes half of my day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I've discovered is that Twitter is where all the conservationists and researchers hang out. Instagram is where all the wildlife carers are. And Facebook is where the wildlife carers are. So it's really interesting looking at social media and looking at where those different audiences are. So the reason why I, I now spend also a lot of time on Twitter is because I'm desperately trying to get into those conservationists and researchers as well.
0: Yeah. Well, internally here we use Telegram so we can send large files <laughs> to each other. So the uh, come on, I meant the app, not the old wireless <laughs> communication, Telegram, the app. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I just I, I, I've, I've just mastered <laughs> knives and forks, and I've got more apps than I can handle. Thank you for the interview. I hope we've covered everything. It is an important issue, but I like to end with something that shows people that you are a real person, and I think you've done that during. Yeah, this I experience.
3: definitely am, and I've, you know, I've, I've had my own, I've had my own, ex, I've had my own experiences of trauma, and I've had my own, you know, my own animal connection moments, which make me you know really understand you know how how animals no matter what they are absolutely connect with their human carers and how much their human carers connect with them and i think this is i think this is the i think this is the essence of why wild talk exists you know when we think about the numbers of something like 80% of every call that is received doesn't make it into care and then about 60% doesn't make it out I think when we look at those numbers and we look at how much the people who are doing this work really, really care for wildlife, that's why Wild Talk exists, because we know how damn hard it is.
0: Thank you very much, Francis. That contact information again. Ring 1300, Wild Talk. 1300 three double zero nine four five three eight. If you'd like to contact the organisation, go to wildtalk.org.au. That's the website with an awful lot of free information to download in PDF form from their resource link. Of course, you can visit them on Facebook, which is, of course, WildTalk. caring for wildlife workers and volunteers. All the information is in the interview, but don't hesitate. Just remember that number, 1300 Wild Talk. If you're involved in wildlife rescue, rehabilitation, care, release, or any association with wildlife, this is a free counselling service for you because you can't take care of our animals if you're not taking care of yourself. Thank you for listening. My name is Rob Armstrong and this has been the wildlife.